God cares for his people. Times in life we may wonder, does he care? Is he there? Is he able to handle the situations that we encounter? Those that are not favorable? For the month of October, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I want to speak to us and confirm that the Bible makes it clear God cares for his people. He doesn't abandon us. He, he doesn't forget about us. He cares for us and he loves us. Today in my sermon, I want to focus on the theme, the message, the title, where God says, comfort, comfort my people. He doesn't want us to live in anxiety and fear and concern, but he wants us to trust him. Won't you join me in the 40th chapter of Isaiah? We're going to look at the first and the second verse. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. God says there, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice for all of her sins. But focus there on that first verse. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. <clears throat> How's 2020 going for you? Has this been one of the most stellar years of, of your life? I'm willing to bet you're not going to forget 2020. You know, it just, it seems the time passes so quickly. Can you believe it's only been 10 months ago that we ushered in the new year with great hopes and expectations and and, and looking forward to a banner year. But how has it been for you? It seemed times flat passes so fast. Seems like I was just looking out my window a few months ago. The trees were bare, but they were just beginning to bud. Spring was here. The leaves were coming. The beauty of a new season. A new year, a summer, a springtime of hope looking forward to enjoyment and travel and being with friends. Matter of fact, last January, I was looking forward to my travel to Jordan and Israel. This is what I consider one of those great blessings that God has afforded me to travel in the Holy Land, to see the significant sites where Jesus healed the sick, where he raised the dead, where he died on Calvary's cross for our sins. And there on the tour in January, things are going well. I'm enjoying all that I'm taking in. But then across the news, the stories began to flow about the devastation that was taking place in China. Thousands, 
have been affected by this this new and mysterious disease called COVID-19. Each day, the news spoke of people who had become sick and people who had died. We watched the drastic measures that were taking place in this country to try to abate the impact of this disease. Miracles were, uh, of man were performed, building hospitals in a matter of weeks, sanitizing streets, putting people on lockdown. These were not normal times. And you know what? As I was there, away from home, I began to pray and say, Lord, <clears throat> I'm getting concerned. I'm concerned about what's going on around me. All I want to do is to get home and be safe. I, I, I began to be concerned about my personal safety. Long before they started talking about it here, I, I was concerned about being too close to people who were not a part of our group. I saw safety in being home in the United States of America. I thought that's where I would be protected. And I sought God in prayer to comfort me. I have found solace in the Psalm, the 46th Psalm. It seems appropriate for what's going on around me. The world is falling into chaos. Listen to what the psalmist says. He said, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and an ever-present help. King James says, in a time of trouble. God spoke to me as he speaks to us to say, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the sea roaring and waves going back and forth, even though the mountains may quake and sway and surge, God is our strength. You know, it puts me in mind of when I worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs in Washington, D.C. at the headquarters. And one day there was an earthquake and earthquakes in this area are rare. But while I lived in California, I experienced several earthquakes. You, be, you come to know what they feel like, what they sound like, what they look like, and what precautions you need to take. Well, I'm sitting there fat, dumb, and happy, not thinking about what could happen here. It doesn't, earthquakes don't happen in this area. And so I'm sitting there at my computer now hear what sounds like someone is dragging a dump truck down the aisles, down the hall. I said, no, this doesn't make sense. Then it dawned on me, this is an earthquake. 
So immediately I sprang into action. The, the exit, the stairwell exit was right in front of my cubicle, went around, and out the building I went. And when I got to the street, I, I was greeted there or I was there with other coworkers as we're wondering what's going on. Phone service was disrupted. But we soon found out that it was an earthquake that had spread over this region. I think when it talks about the mountains, I think about the firsthand account that some of the employees gave who were in the basement of the building that they could see the walls swaying from side to side. That was scared me. If, if what I experienced wasn't enough, to know that I was in the basement of a building and the walls are doing this, mm, I, I would be very concerned, wouldn't you? You know, I believe we sometimes take the promises of God for granted. I'll liken it to maybe if you have bought a fire extinguisher. By buying that fire extinguisher, you, you sense a sense of safety, of well-being. That if there's an emergency, if there's a fire, you will be able to address it. You will be able to fight that fire. But you know what? In reality, we see in that fire extinguisher a sense of safety, a sense of a shield. We don't think that its safety and its function and its its purpose is in the time of an emergency, a time when there is a need. We don't mentally picture that, but we just mentally picture there's not a fire. You know what else I would liken that to? In our automobiles, we have two brake systems. Most of us have an automatic transmission. So we give little thought or use to what's called the parking brake. When I was taught how to drive, when I was learning to drive, it was referred to as the emergency brake. Now, I will admit, the nomenclature parking brake is comforting. You've gotten to the end of the trip, you're ready to exit the car, you've gotten where you're going, everything has is, 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 is gone well so far. So you put the car and the transmission into uh, park, if you will. With that, then maybe you set the parking brake, you, you turn the lights off and you're ready to get out of the vehicle. I'm confident that if you were to read the owner's manual, it will provide for you instructions, instructions for the use of this second brake system. Yes, the word emergency brings about a concern. Something has gone wrong. Something is not right. That's not comforting. When we look at God's word many times, we fail to see that he will help us in times of trouble. Trouble, heartache is going to come. Troubling times are going to come. Persecution is going to come. Illness is going to come. But in all of these things, 
he's there. I found, and I can personally testify that in the time of need, the emergency brake worked for me. I can tell you from personal experience that when normal has failed, there is something or someone that can take control in the event of emergency and in an abnormal situation. Once my normal brake system failed, my training guided me to grab the release that was there un under the dash and to take my left foot and to begin to pump that small little pedal that's all the way over on the left hand side. And as I did, the car began to slow. Didn't it slow down as fast as the normal brake system? It didn't respond as the normal brake system, but it worked and it stopped the car. When trouble comes our way, God may not act like we think he should act. He may not do things in the way that we are accustomed to, but yet he is in control. Normal failed me that day. Normal has failed us in 2020. It's not normal for people all around us when we're outside of our homes to be wearing masks. That can be disconcerting in itself. It's, it's, it's not normal that when we're at church or when we see family or Christian brothers and sisters that we give them an elbow bump instead of a handshake or a hug. That's not normal. Times aren't normal. It, it's, it's, it's not normal to feel threatened when someone is standing closer than six feet beside us in the grocery store. Normal has gone out the window, but God through his word gives us comfort when normal has failed. David, the psalmist, he said to us earlier that we read, God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. David had troubles. David, when he was a young boy, tending the flocks, had to ward off wild animals with his bare hands. When threatened by a nine-foot giant, that he would cut off David's head and throw it to the wild wind or to the wind, he had troubles. When David was sought after by King Saul and then his own son Absalom, both of them trying to kill him, David had troubles. Once when David was captured by his enemies, the Philistines, he had to play that he was insane in order to save his life. David had troubles. Have you noticed that on one of the leading online ordering sites or buying sites, that there where they have the references or the reviews of products, it will list the words verified purchase, which indicates that this person giving this review of this product actually purchased it.
There's a record of that. There's, there's an account. Well, I would say David is a verified purchaser. David tells us from his own personal experience, he says, I've tried God. And he invites you and I to join him to try God. That's why he can say, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with surging, God is our refuge and our ever-present help in the time of need. You can depend on him. He'll deliver you no matter what the situation may be. But what does that require? It requires that we trust him. God cares for us. He knows that we get concerned about situations. He knows that our hearts may grow faint. And so he tells Isaiah in that first verse of that 40th chapter, he, he makes an emphasis of it. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Isaiah was a prophet of the court and of the temple unlike some other prophets that lived in other parts of the country or nation, Isaiah lived in Jerusalem. And when he prophesied, he would prophesy there at God's temple. That's where he delivered his message. And God instructed him to say to the people, speak tenderly his message. He didn't say, look, I'm going to forgive you now. Let's move on and get to, but speak tenderly, speak tenderly to them. God is where his house is, and in his house, he speaks tenderly to us. When we've gathered together, whether online or in the building, he speaks tenderly to us. Matter of fact, when we worship him, I know I hear his comfort in the songs of Zion. I, I, I find comfort when I hear his people pray, when we pray to him, that we put our faith and trust in him by displaying our willingness to give him our concerns and to leave them there. I receive comfort when I listen to the spoken word, to the sermon that tells me of God's love, of his power and his strength and what he has done for me. Yes, if you will meet God in the designated places of meeting, you will find him there. And there you will receive his grace, his strength, and his peace. He will speak tenderly to you if you will meet with him. There are times when all of our faith falters, when all of us wonder what's going to happen, how we're going to make it. Have I shared with you one of the, my favorite accounts in the Bible is the story of Jairus, a, a, a leader of the synagogue whose son was ill and he came to Jesus saying, Jesus, please come and pray over my son that he would be healed. And 
When Jesus said yes, he was delayed because a woman who had faith in what Jesus could do touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. And Jesus knew something had happened, something different, had, something special had happened. And he inquired, who touched me? The disciples said, Lord, with all the people around you, how can we identify who touched you? But this woman, who really should not have been out in public, who should not have touched this man, said, Lord, I touched you. I touched him in your garden. And Jesus set the record straight. He said, it wasn't because you touched me that you were healed. It is your faith that has made you whole. Then as Jesus turns back now to go with Jairus to see about his son, the messengers comes and tell Jairus, don't trouble the master anymore. Your son is dead. Jesus looks at Jairus and says, your son will live again. I can heal him. Do you believe? And Jairus was very honest. He said, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Help that part of me that is struggling. Help that part of me that wants to doubt. Help that part of me that worries that all now is lost and my child is dead. We find that Jesus went to his home and he raised that child from the dead. Our problems may seem overwhelming sometimes. It may seem that day by day they're mounting greater, bigger, and stronger. It may seem that those who persecute us grow more relentless in their pursuit of unfair treatment and troubling us. There's times when it seems that life is getting harder rather than easier. But God says there's comfort. Matter of fact, in that 40th chapter, if you read through it, it talks about times that Israel suffered. They suffered because they were disobedient to God. He had told them time and time again, you and I have established a covenant where you will serve me. You will not serve idol gods. You'll be faithful to me. But if you abandon me, if you turn to an idol God, my judgment will come upon you. I will call you an account of your sins. In 722 BC, the Northern Kingdom fell. In 586 BC, the Southern Kingdom fell. God used Assyria and he used Babylon to bring about his punishment to his people. But now his punishment has ended. And he says there in this chapter, comfort my people. You've been punished twice for your sins. But comfort my people and tell them that I love them. And your sad days are going to be wiped away. Your sad days are going to end. God is a faithful judge. He's faithful to call an account and judge our sins and our iniquities. But he's also faithful to love us and restore us if we come to him. For me, this chapter is one of the most encouraging and consoling chapters in the Bible. And the 27th through the 31st, the most touching and endearing when speaking of God's love. 
Listen to it. He says there, oh, Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not care or see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? Have you not heard? Have you not understood? The Lord is the everlasting God. He never grows weary. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He doesn't grow weak and he doesn't grow weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. My brothers and sisters, have you not heard God understands and knows what we're going through? Are you not aware that he cares for you and the rights that you have as his child? Don't you know that our God does not grow weak or weary? He doesn't wear out. He doesn't have to say, I need a time out. He doesn't say I'm exhausted and I can't handle what's going on. He doesn't get tired and say, I need to take a vacation. I'll be back in two weeks to address your problems. No. We think that we have the answers often and that our timing should be his timing. But Isaiah says we are incapable of measuring the depths of his understanding. We're incapable of understanding the infinite with our finite minds. Know this, he says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Check that out. I, God says, will give power to the weak. When you feel that you're about to give up, you can't go on, he will give you his power to face another day. You may come to a point, I have just had it. I, I, I can't do anymore. I'm ready to give up. I, I can't, I can't handle, I'm, I can't do it. I can't make it. Isaiah says that's when he gives power to the powerless. He gives strength to the powerless. He can give us that power. And you may say, preacher, how, how can I see this? I pray. I don't, I don't feel it. I don't see my situation changing. But yet, if you really examine it, if you really look down into it, you may think, I can't face another day. But yet that morning when you wake up, even though the problems are there that you left from last night, you can make get out of your bed and you can go on about the activities of your life. I'm reminded of a, a song by Billie Holiday. And in the song, she says, good morning, heartache. She said, I thought I lost you last night when I went to bed. But yet when I woke up, you were sitting there to greet me again. Our troubles and our trials and our tribulations. We may go to sleep with them, praying about them, leaving them there at God's feet. And then when we wake up, feel that they're still there. But my brothers and sisters, know that he gives you the strength to go through these trials and tribulations. 
He didn't promise us that life would be perfect. But he said that when these things are occurring in our life, he is our strength. When it gets too rough, when it gets the storm gets too violent, he is our refuge and he is our strength. He's promised that to us. You know, some may rely on money, on education, on power, on position, on their job, whatever they may have. These are earthly things. And Isaiah compares them this way. He says that the youth will become weak and tired. These things won't hold out very long. They're not the same power as God. They're going to run out. He says that even the youth, the young man, full of strength and vitality, they may run, but they'll fall out in exhaustion. Saying that under our own power, our own strength, we cannot overcome the challenges of life. There's a time that's going to come that we are going to be challenged. But he says, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Hear me. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. He'll renew us. He'll, re he'll, he'll give us another day's journey if we'll trust him. He goes on to say, not only will we just make it through the day, not only will we just be able to endure these things, but he says, those who trust in him, they will soar high on wings like eagles above the fray, above the storm, riding on the wind, trusting God, knowing that he has it. A eagle can fly higher than any other bird. He says that if we will trust him, that we will run and not get weary. Oh, sometimes you feel you want to give up and you don't know what tomorrow may bring. I just can't take it anymore. But if you trust God, he has promised to give you strength for another day. They will walk and they will not faint. You're not going to fail. You're not going to drop out. You're going to walk and God will sustain you. He'll keep you. He has promised that he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. But he'll be there with you always, even until the end of the very world. Finally, Isaiah says there in that first and second verse of the 40th chapter of Isaiah, he says, tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice for all of her sins, but her sins have been pardoned. Do you know that God sent his son, Jesus, for the pardon of our sins? Do you know that Jesus paid it all? Do you know that Jesus had committed no sins, but yet he knew that his purpose was to pay the sins of humanity? Salvation is not something that we're going to receive in the sweet by and by. It's not something going to, that's going to come 
after we die. But salvation comes the moment that we ask Jesus to come into our life, that we repent of our sins. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you will open the door of your heart, of your life, I will come in and I will dwell with you. I will bring the presence of the Holy Spirit that will stay with you for eternity. The Holy Spirit will guide you and bring back to your remembrance those things that you've studied and learned of me. He'll guide you. He'll be your constant companion. What's required to bring Jesus into your life? It's very simple. Romans 10 and 9 highlights it. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, repent of your sins, you shall be saved. What does it mean to be saved? I'm glad you asked. Salvation is a permanent restoration of our relationship with God. Salvation is the promise that he will be with us from now until the end. Salvation is knowing that when this body has ceased to be and we're with him, that when the judgment comes, we will never be separated from his presence. That's what salvation means. And you can have salvation by a simple prayer and the sincerity of your heart. If you want to invite Jesus into your life, if you want his salvation, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord, I repent of my sins. I know that I, if I ask, I know that if I ask, you will forgive. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe and confess with my mouth that Jesus died on Calvary's cross. I believe in my heart that he rose from the grave and that he is alive. Jesus, you've said, if I repent and I believe, and if I confess with my mouth these things which I say now, I will receive your salvation. Come into my life, dear Jesus. I give you control. You are my Lord. My life will not be my will, but yours. And I thank you for the gift of your salvation. Salvation can never be earned by works, but it is the gift that you have given me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My friend, if you have prayed that prayer, if you have given your life to Christ, know, again, the lights aren't going to flash, the mountains aren't going to shake, 
to say that you receive salvation, but know in your heart that God is there now. He has forgiven you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. That he is your God and that he is there. He's there to comfort you through life's trials and tribulations. He's there to speak strength and joy into your life. Even though, even though trials and tribulations come, even though these things happen that are unpleasant, know that God cares for you and that he will bring you through. Romans 8.28 tells us that no matter what happens, if we love God and we are called according to his purpose, whatever happens, he will make it for our good. He will make it for our good. That's his promise to us. Won't you share your decision with us? On our website, there's a place where you can contact us, where you have our information to reach out to us. I, love, I would love to hear from you. I encourage you, become a member of a Bible-based and believing church. Why do I make this emphasis? Because man may tell us a lot of things, but what's key, what's critical, what's important is that we know what's in the Word of God. And that's how we live our life. You're welcome to be a member of our church, our congregation. Or if I can help you find a church, I'd be more than happy to do so. Just contact me. God bless you. And I know that God will keep you. Every Christian holds dear the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. John said it in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, they will not be lost, but they shall receive eternal life. Jesus said he's our friend, and that as our friend, he would willingly lay down his life for us. They didn't take his life. They didn't force him to do it. This wasn't their will, but this was God's will to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity. The Thursday night before Jesus was crucified, he celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples, the commemoration where God had delivered the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt where they were instructed to put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and to lentils, where they ate a special meal and to be ready for God's deliverance the next day. The punishment brought on is on Egypt was that the firstborn, both human and animal, died that night, unless that home was covered by the blood of the lamb. If we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are saved. If we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are saved by the sacrifice 
of his blood on the cross at Calvary. Our sins are forgiven. And so after he had eaten the Passover meal with his disciples that night, he took the cup. The Bible says, and he raised it and he gave thanks. And he said, from henceforth, I won't celebrate the Passover anymore until we come together in God's kingdom. But what I will ask you and command you to do is to remember the sacrifice that I have made for you. And so he took the cup and he raised it and he gave thanks to God. And he said, this is my blood that will be shed on Calvary's cross for the remission, the cleansing, the forgiveness of all sins. And then he passed it among them and he commanded them to drink. As a Christian, we follow God's commandment to us. If you're not a Christian, this has no meaning. It, it has no function. But if you have invited Jesus into your life, this is the celebration and commemoration that you are saved and that Jesus paid the price for your sins. Let us commune together. The Bible tells us that then he took bread and he broke it and he told his disciples, this is my body that's going to be broken, be broken for you. The Bible tells us that that day he was beaten and flogged, that he was hung on a cross, the most torturous and cruelest form of capital punishment that man had instituted in that day. And he didn't die because of the Roman government. He didn't die because of what the Sanhedrin had did, but he died that our sins will be forgiven. And so he had taken that bread that night and he divided it among the disciples and he said, take and eat. We as his disciples today do take and eat. Scripture says that once they had eaten what we now call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, that they left the upper room and they went to the Mount of Olives. And within a sh few short hours, Jesus was arrested, beaten, and ultimately crucified. But that's not the end of his story because the most important part was that he rose from the dead. He died for our sins, yes. But because he lives, we live if we have made him our Savior. I pray that he is your Lord and Savior. And if so, I pray that God continues to bless you, that he continues to keep you, that you continue to experience his comfort, his strength, his peace and his blessings. God bless you.